Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Welcome to this week's edition of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released. Today we are talking about The Minus Man from 1999, and my name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Bryden Doyle. Hello. And Charlie Nash. Hello. Like I said, we are talking about The Minus Man from 1999. This went to Sundance in January 1999 with a limited release in uh, the U.S. September 10th, 1999. It opened in five theaters and spread out to 45 theaters. The budget, once again, I could not find it. Opening weekend was 40 grand, domestic gross of $370,000. Top five films this weekend, just, yes, Stigmata. The Sixth Sense. <laughs> Stigmata is number one. Over The Sixth Sense. I still want to watch that movie. Can't wait. Oh, it's a doozy. It sucks and I want to own it so bad. Um, it Just watch the intro to Stigmata alone. Set to, set to fucking Chamba Wamba's Mary Mary, okay? Just there's, do that. And there's a scene where Patricia, uh, yeah, Patricia Arquette gets uh, possessed by Satan to All is Full of Love by Bjork. Yeah, hair salon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. Okay, I need to rewatch this movie. <laughs> Be like everybody on Twitter that's just like this movie. Everybody thinks sucks. It's amazing. It's like no, it still sucks. It's just it, kind of interesting it, to watch. <laughs> it has no ending. It just kind of shrugs. Like it's, it's just, just like, like she's cured. I guess. Eh, wow, yeah. spoilers for this twenty-three-year-old movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is so beloved. This by was number one this weekend. Okay. <laughs> Everybody saw it, okay? Even though I'm sure it made like $10 million opening weekend. Number two, Six Sense. Number three, Stir of Echoes. Number four, Runaway Bride. And number five, Bowfinger. Uh, Blair Witch is still going strong at number 10 in its ninth week this weekend. So hell yeah. Uh, number one song in the US this week is Balemos by Enrique Iglesias. And number one song in Canada is If You Had My Love by Jennifer Lopez. Anyone ever own Now 3 back in the day? Because that's how I had Balamos. And we, we are going back to the Now. Last time it was Now 2, I believe, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm skipping forward. I, 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 I Look, I wasn't sure we could reach this point in our friendship today, but I, I'm going to make that step forward. <laughs> okay, um, I want to I wanna know, what, what off the top of your head, how many songs do you remember from Now 3? Uh, Kevin, you want to know which song I specifically remember? Uh-huh. Nookie. <laughs> it's not on here. You're a liar. No, I am not lying. Nookie is on now three. I would never lie to you about... Why? It, what reason It's not would on I have... here, man. Uh, let me look Bullshit. up now four. <laughs> Bullshit. I'd never own now four. Kevin, I'm on the Wikipedia page and I'm sending it to you now. <laughs> what the fuck, Discogs? It's track, it's num- it's track, track number nine. I swear, I swear to God, on 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 Discogs, it does not have it. Yeah, well, Discogs is a fucking liar. I also just <laughs> sent, I also just sent you the. Oh uh, wait, right wait, wait, wait. Okay, the now three I was looking up 
was from 1998 and it has a completely different cover. This is just called now exclamation point. And then we're talking about now that's what I call music three. Yeah. I did not know there was two different ones. What, what yes. you grew up with the fucking, <laughs> the fucking like rip off. This, <laughs> this is a much different track list from now three, uh-huh. which is wild. Uh, no tub thumping on this, which, you know, but we got, Okay. Well, fuck, you already looked at the track list, but... Yeah, well, I had to because you called me to task. I wasn't just gonna... I just... did not know that there was a now, and now that's what I call Music Volume 3. Um, so many of these songs I do not know of at all. Like, Get Gone by Ideal, Shantae Moore, Shantae's Got a Man, Hey, Leonardo, you, You've I'm never here. heard What's My Age Again by Blink-182? Haven't heard it. Uh, I love how it says Balemos from Wild Wild West on here. That yeah. was initially how, because I didn't know, and I was just like, I had to, I had to know as a nine-year-old where that song came from. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. Like half of this, the it's definitely front-loaded because everything up to Special by Garbage, it's just like, oh, okay, I've heard of every single one of these songs. Okay, and then everything else besides Out of My Head by Fastball, the last song, I've never heard of. I'm um, I'm, I'm gonna be very embarrassing here. I had Now 2, which had I Think I'm Paranoid by Garbage, and then Special yeah. by Garbage on Now 3, and that resulted in me getting version 2.0. Just like What's My Age Again got me to get my first parental advisory CD, which was Enema of the State by Blink-182. Very funny, very funny. Um, yeah. Back in the day, um, we did the Columbia House, where you can get like five mm-hmm. quote-unquote CDs for like 50 cents, and I ordered mm-hmm. that one. But it didn't have the explicit tag on it, on like the fucking stamps that you put on and whatnot. When I got in the mail, my dad was just like, no, you don't get that. That goes to your brothers. And I was like, "Uh, I'm only going to listen to What's My Age Again. There's no cursing on that. Can I have the album? Very fun. I I literally blew one of my friend's minds because after I got Enema of the State, the explicit version, the non-edited version, my parents got me Take Off Your Pants and Jacket the edited mm-hmm. version and i was like yeah i never even understood what that title of that album meant until like i was an adult and they were like what do you mean and i was like well obviously it's like get naked but you know take off your pants and jacket and it blew my friend's <laughs> mind or she was like i never realized that i'm just like yeah, oh, God damn it. also i i one of my favorite interactions with work was i was reminiscing with a friend about like how much nostalgia we have for blink 182 and how we were like yeah like so much nostalgia for them and their lyrics are terrible and uh someone listening to our 30 year old man being like oh i was yeah. at a movie theater and you well, were with some guy adam song is pretty good though that's actually oh, pretty effective i still look their lyrics are terrible. I have so much nostalgia for them, but then some one of our other coworkers who wasn't even like involved in our conversation just walked by and was like, Blink-182 is essentially about a bunch of 30-year-olds singing about skipping class and making prank phone calls. <laughs> and we all just lost it. And then we were, she was like, what it is? And we're like, yeah, yeah that's why it's funny. <laughs> uh, that's so I mean, that's, that's pretty much pop punk in a yeah. nutshell. Uh, anything on Tony Scott's Pro Skater soundtrack, uh, it lines up with that. Um, the Minus Man follows an aimless <laughs> serial killer named Van, played by Owen Wilson, who takes a bizarre turn in life and becomes a serial killer, tracking down the miserable, the self-destructive, and those who otherwise seem willing to die. Okay, that's a weird way to I, put it. It seems like he's a serial killer at the start of the movie, because like, yeah. he's shown like, washing off his car. And I don't know like how bad the murder, like his if it was like a really horrible murder you committed beforehand but it seems like i'm getting the impression he's already done this before especially he maybe he's already uh, yeah pretty fine maybe he was a part of the the 
the rent a car derby in Jackass the movie, and he was just like, I hit a deer. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna pay for that? No, I'm not. I got the insurance. It doesn't cover that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah, because I would assume so, because that truck also has the thing where he has the poison underneath the truck. So I, I, we didn't see him install that. So I assume at the start he already has that. So. He seems so prepared. Yeah. Oh and yeah. What he wasn't prepared for was sideshow Bob was also underneath his car the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, um, we're off to a rocket start, Jesus. Hell yeah. God. His first victim is wretched junkie casper played by cheryl what is google no judgment there (laughs) (laughs) his first victim deserved it and then after that yeah uh, after disposing of her body say that he was her favorite mistake oh god get this guy this is my own brother this guy stinks (laughs) after disposing of her body van uh rents a room from a turbulent couple jane and doug derwin uh, played by Brian Cox and Mercedes Rowe. From there, uh, Van plots his murders, gets work at the post office, and falls deeper and deeper into a psychotic haze. Sure. Uh, directed by Hampton Fasser. Fasser? Fancher. Fancher. Yeah. Fanta. Okay. Wrote the adapted screenplay based on the novel by Lou McCreary. This is his only directed film. Primarily, He's primarily known for his uh, 60s and 70s television acting and writing. He fucking co-wrote Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 and wrote The Mighty Quinn in 1989. That's a good movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But apparently, like, he wrote the original Blade Runner script and then Ridley Scott was just like, no, like, I like some ideas and they brought somebody in. You're like, no, 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 I can fix it up. I can fix it up. And it took him so long that they kept calling him instead of Hapton Fasher. They were talking to him, they were nicknaming him Happen Faster. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you lazy fucking. That's very funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Starring Owen Wilson as Van. If you listened to our previous episode, I already got into Owen Wilson, so we're done with that. Uh, Janine Garofalo as Farron weird name prior nominated for two emmys in 1996 and 1997 uh had a short stint on snl for one season from 94 to 95 it was on the ben stiller show her iconic role in the cable guy as the uh, medieval times waitress oh that's my favorite scene of the cable guy <laughs> it's so good <laughs> she's like hey i'm your helpless wench brenda <laughs> yeah. yeah you're serving wench melinda <laughs> <laughs> There were no utensils at Medieval Times, hence there are no utensils at Medieval Times. Would you like a refill on that Pepsi? There were no utensils, but there was Pepsi? Dude, I had a lot of tables. Uh, after this, she was in uh, Dogma, 200 Cigarettes, and Mystery Men in 1999. 14 episodes uncredited on Felicity as the voice of Sally Reardon. Yep, yep. She's like the, oh. the teacher, I think, that Felicity has. And she keeps like... Watch all four seasons of Felicity, so I know this. Um, uh, Felicity, like, when she gets to college, she's really nervous, so she sends, she talks into a tape recorder and sends the tapes to Sally, who's played by Janine Garofalo, and then mm-hmm. at the end of every episode, at least in the first season, Garofalo's uh, Sally keeps sending tapes back, giving advice about, like, here, Fel- dear Felicity, here's how to solve your problem, and here's, like, some experiences that I've had, or whatever, and that's sort of how hmm. it keeps going. Um, that's wild. Yeah, Felicity, wild show. Uh I can't wait to watch it. I didn't know there was only four seasons. That makes me happy. Um, and uh, also Wet Hot American Summer in 2001. Also a fantastic comedian, and I'd recommend her stand-up, if you will, from 2010. Uh, did y'all know how she was cast and uh, almost cast in Fight Club? No. No. 
yeah she was cast she was cast in it fincher was just like here's the script if you want to you're in she was like okay and then edward norton was like no i'm dating courtney love i would rather her play marla and then so they kicked her out and then brad pitt was like i'm not signing on to it if courtney loves plays marla and then they got uh who they got and courtney love Love, who's in 200 cigarettes with Ginny garofalo there we go yeah look i love helen that that's one of my favorite helena bottom carter performances in fight club there are lines that just are permanently seared into my brain through how she delivers them i also would have killed for a janine garofalo version (laughs) right and she's talked about it and she was not like oh i got screwed over she was like i would 1000 percent would not have come anywhere close to doing what helen bottom carter did in that but then she's like i live like two houses down from edward norton and he always acts like he never notices me <laughs> yeah, that's funny um, norton's an asshole i could never believe that <laughs> oh man i saw birdman i thought he was just acting um brian cox as doug uh prior to this uh the long kiss goodnight in 96 rushmore in 98 after this lie in 2001 mm, great uh, movie yeah, I need to watch that. Uh, let me inhale really deep because his 2002 slate is stacked. The Rookie, Born Identity, The Ring, Adaptation, 25th Hour, a movie called The Reckoning, and two episodes of Frasier. That's just, that's just some good credits. Damn. I'm, glad yeah. you, I'm also glad you saved the last of your breath for the two episodes of Frasier. Those are very important. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. He had an arc in t- in 2006 on Deadwood and is currently on Succession. Uh, won an Emmy for a miniseries called Nuremberg in 2001. Yeah, Alec Baldwin was in that. I think it's with the Nuremberg yeah. trials, and I think he I think Cox plays a Nazi, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think so. Uh, movie also features Cheryl Crow in her debut performance, although I think she's only been in like one other movie where she's not playing herself. Uh, Dwight Yoakam and Dennis Haysbert. Cheryl yeah. Crow was not, it's not a movie, but she was in a few episodes of Cougar Town. Which I ah, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't remember much about it other than being like, oh, it's Cheryl Crow, and then that's Cougar it. Cougar Town, is that Courtney Cox? It yes. is Courtney Cox, and okay. it actually is a very funny show that even itself learned to hate its own title because the whole premise was... Courtney Cox has sex with younger people, and then it doesn't become that at all. It's like that for, like, two to three episodes, and then they're like, we need to do something more with this, and it actually grows into something really funny. Uh-huh. Um, Based on what I remember, I haven't finished the show or seen it in, like, ten years, but... Quick side note, it looks like uh, Cheryl Crow's other two acting roles are in Deed Lovely, and, although I've not seen what her role is in Deed Lovely, and 54, the movie about Studio 54. Yeah, 54, I think she's like, it said like, bar patron. So like, VIP I think patron. they probably they probably just like, oh, there's Cheryl Crow. And then that was it. Um, and I think in Deed Lovely, there's like a bunch of people that are like musicians, and they didn't have names when I looked at it, so I think they might be playing themselves, but... Ah. Did Regardless. she get credit for Crossroads when they'd sing If It Makes You Happy throughout, like, seven states? Does anyone remember that montage? No. Yes, I do. I they, literally, they literally sing that song through multiple states at, yeah. in a montage. It implies okay. that the only yeah. thing they've listened to is that song. Which, to be fair, great song. Yeah, yeah. that album's good. I, that's the only one of hers I've heard, I think. But, uh, good album. Um uh, is it yeah, Brighton, is it the Brighton, Brighton has not seen the Shonda Rhimes written classic Crossroads. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. It's a blind spot. Uh, who directed that? Tamara Davis. Uh, who Tamar did Davis. Billy, Madison? Billy Madison director. Yeah. And Half-Baked. Yes. Um, yes. Her follow-up, I believe, to Half-Baked. If 
I'm correct. We don't talk about her enough, Jesus Christ. Uh, trivia. There's really only one trivia fact that I found out there that was not from the production notes on the DVD, and this is where we will spend most of our podcast talking about. No, but it says on the IMDb trivia, which I do not think is true, it says the original teaser trailer. I do not think this is a teaser trailer. I could not find any trailer that was for theaters that showed clips from the movie that was not this. And on the DVD, it lists at the original theatrical trailer and the home video trailer which is on youtube is the same one that's a home video trailer on the dvd so keep that in mind uh the original trailer features eddie ift and marlon hinkle as a couple discussing the movie after a date and did not feature any footage whatsoever from the movie i will not spoil but this is one of the most maybe the most bizarre trailer i've ever seen um uh i posted it on our twitter at, at almost major just Please go check it out. It is unreal. It is yeah. more. I think its fame has the fame. The trailer is pretty famous. It is like surpassed the legacy of the the movie itself. The tra- most and, of the tra- yeah. most of the comments on YouTube are just like I remember this trailer and I think about it all the time. I I I sometimes forget that it was for a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm and trying it, to think of other. Tra- oh, sorry, Brian. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say the the trailer like sets. Without spoiling it, um, even though I would desperately love to talk about it, um, it is like it sets like an impossible standard for the movie to live up to, as if like it, this movie's going to be so exciting, and then like you see the movie, and it's like this is fine, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> it it kind of it kind of reminded me of I don't remember if any of you remember this trailer, but there's a terrible Michael Keaton movie called White Noise. Mm. Yes, that trailer rules. That trailer yes. scared the shit out of me as a teenager. Scared me so much, dude. And it's like yes. it's like about the white noise technology about like picking up like voices of supposed ghosts who yes like it was just like this is ruth baxter you remember 19- her name too oh my god <laughs> Wait, that's not is that really her name yes jesus christ oh my god what you are about to hear is real it has not been edited or enhanced it is the voice of ruth baxter This voice was recorded in August 2003. Ruth Baxter died in 1987. So many things I've forgotten from high school that would be, like, just fundamental to my But you will remember that she said on the tape, I will see you no more. You remember that, don't you? Yeah, because it scared the shit out of me. And it's not the movie at all. It's just genuinely like Ruth Baxter died in 1987, but this was recorded in 1998 or whatever and they don't show the movie at all and it got everyone oh no no no. they do show it they it's like a minute and a half of that and then it like it like dissolves into a funeral and then michael keaton's there and whatnot but the movie is not like jumping off a building or something yeah the movie is like because yeah that trailer scared the living shit out of me and i remember seeing it before seeing the grudge in in uh theaters and um same yeah it fucking day i recently rewatched it still works it's still creepy as fuck and, and then like you watch the, the movie fucking movies it's yeah so then you bad. watch the movie and it's like a drama like it's there's like one or two like jump scares where he's like leaning up to a tv and like a ghost cgi's out of the static or whatever but yeah it's like a drama gr- about a guy grieving over one of his friends who died or something like that like it's yeah it's horrible no. But it must have done well enough to get a direct-to-video sequel with uh, Nathan Fillion, I believe. Uh, what? What? White Noise, noise 2. Whiter Noise? No, White Noise 2, the colon, the light, with Nathan Fillion and Katie Sackhoff. 
directed by Patrick Lussier, who like edited one of the Wes Craven movies, uh, like Scream, huh. I think. If I'm not mistaken. Huh. Even as a teenager, when I got around to that movie, I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I want to make it clear I wasn't rattling off the the director's credits uh, off the top of my head because I um I didn't know it was that Patrick Lussier who directed it, but I did remember seeing a trailer for White Noise Two on like a, some DVD. I don't remember which which one it was, but like I Brighton, didn't see that in theaters. I, really? I'm a, okay. Brighton, I'm about to forget what actors are in this movie, and I somehow remembered Ruth Baxter, according to Kevin. <laughs> I don't think you have anything to be ashamed of. The amount of things that I could have retained during 2005 when I saw that trailer, and I decided not to. (laughs) And then, oh my god, and then I remember, like, renting Universal movies, and they would, like, you know, have trailers before you got to the DVD menu, and, like, as soon as the tape started going into the machine at the start of the white noise trailer, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, skipping that, skipping that. I'm not good with that. Uh Uh-uh. God, yeah, that trailer is so fucking spooky. Uh... Anyways, yeah, go go check out the uh, uh, Minus Man trailer on our Twitter and uh, get back to us because it's 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 incredible. Um, I have a few more notes that I copied from the production notes from the DVD. Uh, kind of sum this up. Some of this I could probably not even say. Acclaimed thriller writer Lou McCreary wrote the character of Van in his 1990 novel of the same name. Hampton Frantzer first first came across the novel after reading a review by writer Anne Rice in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Intrigued by her commentary, wow. uh, Fancer cut the review from the paper and carried it around with him for years. He uh, wrote the screenplay based on the character and found respect from the author. McCurry said in the screenplay he improvised off the book jazz style. I think he made a few choices about what to include and what to exclude. Basically, he took something that I would have said was unfilmable and turned it into an enticing meditation on the weird connotations of evil and unreliability of innocence. Talk about trying to fill up a word count. Um, Owen Wilson's name came up early in the casting process, but the director resisted using the rising, albeit relatively unknown star of Bottle Rocket. However, after Wilson read for the part, Fancer was so impressed that he started to believe that if Wilson couldn't be in the picture, he wouldn't make the movie. Cheryl Crow makes her feature film debut here because of Dwight Yoakam's convincing. A self-described movie lover, Crow was a die-hard Blade Runner fan and was curious about acting. So It is go. also interesting that they bring up... The other trailer I watched brought up Sling Blade, and you have to think about how Dwight Yoakam played such a big part of Sling Blade, and that's probably <laughs> how she got involved. Well, yeah, yeah. and this is... um. Co- co-distributing this along with artists and is uh, the shooting gallery which put out um yes. uh sling blade as i was looking up earlier yeah yeah also lou mccreary lives in waltham massachusetts which is just about a 10 minute drive from me so if you have any questions i can just like bring my laptop with me if i can somehow figure out the wi-fi pad. Like, yeah it'll be like yeah. that uh what's that yeah. elisha wood movie where he gets a laptop and he He's in the car. Oh, open open windows. I reviewed that thing. I should know that by now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how car chases work with laptops. Yeah, yeah you just yeah. stay online the entire time. I don't know Char- why it wouldn't work in this scenario. Charlie doing a real life open windows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, that's all the trivia I have. Uh. McCreary uh, yeah, so. like, makes a cameo in the movie as like the guy at the diner who that owns some poisons. Yeah, that's oh, right. 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 Yeah. right. That's right. So yeah, both both uh, films that we've covered in the past two weeks are from novels, and also the authors are in the movies. So yeah, and also both are directorial debuts, and also the only movies they've ever made, plus are both Owen Wilson and Janine Garofalo joints. So yeah. What, lots of, if, if there ever been like 
week to week episodes where there's been this many strange coincidences in terms of like what's the connective tissue here i mean i don't know like choose your own adventure uh, like the closest is uh the center <laughs> of the world and startup.com being shot on video and i wasn't even trying to make that connection whenever we made the double feature so there was that i guess but yeah i don't uh i mean Blair Witch and Blair Witch 2, there's, uh, even even though that's a I, sequel, I there's barely a connection. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't see how those two are related in any way. <laughs> oh, the biggest connection we ever had was Soul Survivors and Bryden's five-star review for it. That was a pretty big connection. No, um, that was me. My bad. I've never done anything violent to anybody. Just the minimum that was necessary. So what brings you down this way? My dad was sick, and I was taking care of him mostly. After he passed on, I didn't have any reason to stay any longer. I never make a plan. It just happens. Are you in a good mood? Yeah, I'm happy. Everybody's, though, happy on Saturday. In what can only be described as a bizarre incident, police are now treating the case as a homicide. You don't always choose what you do. Irene. Sometimes what you do chooses you. Toxology tests have determined the source of the poison. No fear, no pain. They just go to sleep. I'm not surprised this country has so much violence. Surprised it has so little. Artisan Home Entertainment invites you to see the world through the eyes of a killer. You recall what you were doing on the 18th? I remember exactly what I was doing. That was my day off and I spent the day at home. From the producers of Sling Blade and the writer of Blade Runner. This is the guy that made poison all those people. That's what it looks like me, doesn't it? Film critics are calling The Minus Man a potent thriller. Chilling and intriguing. I thought. You thought what? Is this what you do? Trance like, seductive. Owen Wilson, Janine Garofalo, Brian Cox, Mercedes Rule, acclaimed singer songwriter Dwight Yoakam, Dennis Haysbert. The Minus Man. You guys have any leads? Well, we think so. But then, uh, we always think so. Initial thoughts. Uh, is this everybody's first viewing, I assume? Yes. yes. Okay, same here. Um, Bryden, uh, start us off, if you may. Sure. Um, I thought this was okay. I th- I was into it for like a good portion of it. I think because I I was sort of at first I was sort of into the flatness of the movie, how like everything's like all he's like just dropping through all these sunny beach towns and like countries sort of like semi countryside uh, places with like lots of mountains and whatnot and on open roads and the murder scenes aren't like you know really. Um, done in like in a super flashy way i think like it's mostly just like like static shots of like him like just like you know i mean his methods are not like overtly violent i mean because like he just like offers people a drink from a flask of filled with poison and whatnot and then he just sort of like watches them and it's that's kind of compelling for a little bit but i think the movie doesn't I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to like make it seem, uh, seem like I want this movie to be like a traditional, a traditional thriller, but I, I don't know. This is like Hampton Vantra's first movie. And like, it kind of shows that like, it's not, he's not the most visually adventurous director. It's like the, Mm-mm. like the movie kind of just like is standard, like a lot of standard shot reverse shots. And 
dissolve transitions and those fucking dissolves which yes. like yeah. for a while like the casualness of like the transitions is kind of like as to the maybe the eeriness of it how like this guy's just like is happy is like pretty like benevolent when he's talking to people but then he's also like committing these horrible things and just like not really giving it much of a thought that's like that kind of works for a while but then it the movie doesn't have a whole lot of tricks up its sleeve stylistically or visually in a way that makes it kind of monotonous um and i don't know it, it, it just it, it, i don't know that it's it's able to sustain its uh sort of creepy mood for like most of its runtime it, it kind of like dissipates as it goes on um especially because i feel like the um the brian cox thing uh, near the end with like the, the and his missing wife i'm not entirely sure if that was necessary to have in the movie i'm not i, I don't know no. it, it, it no. doesn't provide as much tension i feel like as it should and um i think owen wilson's pretty good in this it's an interesting use of his sort of like affable persona that like is so that like yeah like you're used to seeing that in like a, a comedy although it's funny you know he wasn't like quite as fully formed a comedic star as he was in like a few years later i mean like it you know if you go back and watch bottle rock it's really interesting how he is like kind of a little more aggro in his energy in that movie is he's like you know haranguing people into committing this stupid robbery and everything so like it's kind of interesting how he's still kind of finding this persona as an actor although permanent midnight he already sort of has like the lackadaisical like you know vaguely spacey uh sort of air to him so i think that's used pretty well here um again i'm not i don't know it's it's interesting because like the the fact that there's maybe not a whole it doesn't always seem to be a whole lot going on with the performance i guess it kind of works with the with the character that he's playing because there's just i mean he says that there's like the you know that has the story like a spider crawled in his ear and then like crawled back out because nobody was home and it's like it kind of works like sort of that blankness when he's just looking and you're like i cannot tell what you're if it weren't for the voiceover i would not be able to tell what you're thinking or feeling and it's like it's so it's effective on that level but i just don't really know that there's a, a whole lot there uh direct like visually or like thought wise to this movie beyond just like you know kind of like a casual portrait of like an evil person who just chooses to do awful things because he can and like is curious about them i don't know how much i i, I can only go so, so far with that in terms of engagement but like there's some decent stuff in here i think this movie is totally fine but i i it did leave me wanting a little bit more in the end uh mm-hmm. i'll leave it at that yeah uh charlie yeah, I'm. I, I agree with you, Bryden. I admire what this film is going for. Like, it's a quiet serial killer movie where it's about the little moments, but the cast is doing all of the work, and the direction is just. It's. Like, I can see what they're aiming for, but it, at the same time, it's not enough. Like, I'm. I'm not. I'm totally fine with understated eerie like undertones but and and i i you know i love owen wilson often as a performer here i genuinely i think he's giving everything like i think he's doing exactly what he's being told to do but i don't buy him as a serial Mm. killer here and i (sighs) honestly think that i can't i don't buy him at all and honestly i ultimately blame the direction here more than I blame his performance, if that makes any sense. Because, like, there are certain actors, like, I mean, obviously, Janine Garofalo, Mercedes Rule, Brian Cox, like, I think are all really 
well-tuned here. Even though Janine Garofalo is cast against type, because she's rarely been this vulnerable, I think she's the standout of this cast. Even in 1999, Owen Wilson kind of needed to be pointed in a certain direction in order to make this sort of unsettling in a way that isn't just like... Like, like the most unsettling thing is I've never seen him with a part down the middle, hair-wise, I guess. But he's still very handsome. <laughs> like, 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 I, and I couldn't help but also think, like, I, 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 I was rooting for this movie the entire time because I wanted it to be good based on the amount of talent involved and the fact that it's a feature debut and the fact that from the screenwriter of, you know, Blade Runner, like, all that. But, yeah. like, um, yeah, it just didn't, kind of like... Permanent Midnight, I'm like, I would never stop anyone from seeing this. But yeah, as you said, Bryden, it left me wanting more. And I also couldn't help but think about how The Talented Mr. Ripley came out the same year and did this so much more effectively. And to be fair, much higher budget, better production, more expensive cast. But like, I watched that film um, a couple years ago when lockdown began um, and I didn't care for it in high school, mainly because I was in the closet and not ready for it. And then I saw it like multiple years later and was like, oh, yeah, I wasn't ready for this. And that film does so much, it does so much of the same things here, even though queerness isn't really a factor here. It does some of the same things in terms of a blank character interacting with other people who don't know his true motives or you don't even know that much about this person, but you're fascinated by him. And I know it's not fair to compare an Anthony Mangella film who just fucking won, you know, an Oscar for the English patient to this, you know, debut, mm -hmm. but it's not, it, 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 yeah, it, it, I don't, I didn't have much to take away from it. You know, it, as you've mentioned, Bryden, it's like, we already know he's a serial killer from the beginning and we know he's a serial killer at the end. And then by the end, you're, you're kind of like, well, I went in knowing this off the bat. And then certain things happen and other people are affected by it, but they're not fleshed out enough. And then he goes away and the movie's over and it's kind of like, well, what have we learned here? What, what's happened? And not much, you know, yeah. like, and I get that that's the point the movie's trying to make, but there's not enough depth for all the ensemble characters because it wants to spend so much time with all these other characters and it just doesn't go anywhere with them or how he impacts their life in any way that haunts me beyond just the superficial aspects of what it's trying to say as a story it, yeah and like yeah it's anticlimactic and i think like that's like and the fact that like he's not really punished at the end like that that, that is like sort of like maybe meant to be chilling i think and um there was something else you were saying, uh, too. I think I think there is valid to bring up like another movie. Uh, you know, even though uh, I haven't seen *Talented Mr. Ripley*, it's on my watch list. I'll get to it. Oh, but but oh boy. But comparing yeah. it, like you know, I think it's valid to compare it, even though like different budgetary levels and like you know prestige and everything. It is like it's like the fact that like these kinds of characters, like you know, sort of charming sociopaths, like are like well-worn territory, and it's like okay, nice try this like material, but like you can find like a few other variations on like this kind of thing mm -hmm. elsewhere. Um, and I think the other thing too is, um, I would be very curious to know what this like is what this is like as a book, like you know if it was all just the interior, yeah. like that that like because the movie, I mean that's the thing, it's like it's not like a badly written movie or anything, but it's just like there's not enough visually as if there's not really much justification for this to be a film like maybe if it was just like a book where it's just this guy's interior monologue is he's justifying 
his like horrible actions and everything that might it it might be good but like the movie just doesn't do enough to kick it its mood into overdrive it just kind of stays at like the one level throughout and it's kind of yeah every way in which the owen wilson character interacts with people and their outcomes are kind of predictable you know and not that things and not that things need to be like think movies can be predictable as long as they have like you know an emotional outcome or something that unsettles you in the long run but all the other characters are kind of archetypes to the point that they are defined by kind of one tick or one thing Mm-hmm. To the point that they don't really feel like flesh, especially in a film that's supposed to be so lived in. I feel like this film is aiming to, you know, kind of uh, create a sense of atmosphere and locale in a way that is small scale, which is totally fine. But by the end, it's like, ultimately, they don't feel real because the characters are just stock figures for how he affects them, as opposed to you know, a lived-in environment that, you know, you wouldn't see every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my initial thoughts, uh, bu- 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 uh, the first thought I had was, this will be interesting. I've never seen Owen Wilson play serious. And then <clears throat> about 10 minutes into it, and I was like, that's why. Uh, I do not know if it's because I have so much breath of him playing a comedic actor that whenever he talks i think he's gonna be funny like like the narrations like i was i was just like this is so silly also it's just like tell me that you adapted a novel like with all of this voiceover and he's saying the most drab boring shit like i've never done anything violent to anybody just the minimum that was necessary they just go to sleep and after that there's no going back yeah Yeah. i'm not surprised by how much violence there is in america i'm surprised by how little violence there is like yeah like that shit yeah Uh uh-huh yeah so that was a big i was just like oh boy um and also a one thing about me is i i do not like movies where like the main character is a serial killer where it's like you get to learn out how he ticks because more times than not that annoys the shit out of me um but i mean at least here they did something different where it's not just like how does he go day to day how does he kill this person and this person it's like you actually do get more there but it's still just kind of uh toes. i do think the most interesting character here is janine garofalo's character um i I think Brian Cox and his wife, that whole dynamic is pretty boring. Um, but yeah, Owen, Owen Wilson, there's, it's, it's kind of a fault to him, but it's also on the fault of the audience of already seeing him be comedic that he's not changing enough about himself that it doesn't get me invested enough, kind of. Or he's just, he's kind of being Owen Wilson. He's not really doing a different shtick because it's serious, I feel. I'd make the argument, though, that like, Maybe it's different because we're reviewing this, like, you know, 23 years later. But at the time, I don't know that Wilson's comedic persona was quite as established as it was later. Like, right. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, like, hindsight 2020 and everything. But, like, you know, it's... But your point is fair, I think. Like, it's... No, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with absolutely both of you because, you know, I was 14 when Wedding Crashers came out. And I grew up with Hell yeah. and stuff like Hell that. Yeah. And I think back and it's like, yeah, he was still in the fucking haunting. Like, he was getting beheaded in The Haunting the same Uh year as this. And at the same time, 
that's kind of why I fault it more on the direction more than I fault it on, because I think the other actors can hold their weight, and Brian Cox and Mercedes Rule and, um, they they're more established character actors who can just kind of lift their own. I think Janine Garofalo is most impressive because she's kind of given a stock character who is very familiar, but manages to have a personality in and of herself that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but, and, and that's why I feel bad saying I don't find Owen Wilson intimidating because it is very hard to make Owen Wilson intimidating as a serial killer, but also like, I don't think he was pointed in a way that was meant to be. And, and, yeah. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. Because he well, wasn't yeah. known as a persona back then, but now we watch it there and we're like, well, this isn't the Owen Wilson we know and he's not stretching that much, but he was stretching back then. It right. Kind of, it's yeah. confusing. Like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's the thing of also, it's just like, oh, I'm watching it and I'm just like, okay, he's not like the... He's, he's not like, oh, he's so likable. How could anybody have known? Like, everybody thinks he's creepy and weird. Like, when he goes to rent a room, she's just like, I, uh no i something you showed up like eight hours early like i guess come see it uh maybe if my husband signs off on it and he was like so if i talk to your husband i can get it right and she's like uh yeah i guess like she was using that as an excuse and then he talks in there and then it's just, he's the uh, brian cox is the one like oh maybe we should have him down for dinner she's like absolutely not he's a tenant not a guest like I mean, I guess it's because, like, they don't want to get attached to anyone because their daughter is, is, like, is out of touch with them, I guess. But, yeah. I mean, Mercedes Rule, like, she's right to have the red flags uh, raised uh, definitely at, at the start. At, at the same time, though, like, like he's just, like, like Brian Cox comes into Owen Wilson's room the first night he's there after he's Mercedes' Rule is like, do not invite them to dinner. So and he sneaks to up to the football bed- game. To a football game? <laughs> and I'm like, does Mercedes Rule just have like grocery shopping to do on friday night or something like well, like no, she's that's why they're whispering because she's there but like she has to be like where are both of these people like <laughs> like she would definitely hear owen wilson in the floor above him and I, I don't mean to be like the plot like person but like there is a certain weird disconnect between the performances and the direction and the screenplay in a way that doesn't feel genuine mm-hmm even for a film like this, I guess that's the thing is like, it's meant to have such a lived in personal vibe. And like, it just felt kind of like, no. And, and again, to your point, Brad, and maybe it's just because I'm like, it's 2022. And it's like, I miss these character actors. And now like, Mm -hmm. and they, but they don't all feel like they're occupying the same movie at the same time. No. Like, Um, but yeah, like, it, it, it's not like he's so charming that people are just like it's not like a ted bundy thing he's just he's already milk toast and people already are uneasy because he's like pulls up to the high school kid and he's just like hey you want to ride come on get on it's not even just like he's like you're like oh, you're not saying anything to make this guy be like oh, oh he's trustworthy or anything but he immediately gets in he's like is that booze in there you know yeah <laughs> um but yeah i i wasn't that big of a fan but i i if if Janine Garofalo was not doing what she did with this character, it would be even lower. Um, she is far and away the best thing of this movie, especially right. considering that her character, as it is written, is not interesting at all. But she no. manages to pr- provide so much of her idiosyncratic like energy into this role. 
that, mm-hmm. like, you put any other actress in there, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, just the way that she replies, like, she's always asking questions, like, way too quickly and everything. Like, when he says, like, oh, man, when I was in college, and she's like, you went to college? Like, she like says that, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so relatable where she's just, like, she's not quite used to these interactions and anything. And, like, but is, yeah. like, so excited to be talking to this person who seems interested in her. Yeah. And, which right. is so different from her persona because you think of her persona and she's just so deadpan and funny and blunt. In the mm-hmm. best type of, like, I'm going to own you type of way. Yeah. That is just, like, sharp as a knife. <laughs> like Yeah, like Romeo and Michelle. She's so funny in that. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. She steals that movie. And that movie has Mira Servino and fucking uh, Lisa Kudrow in it. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the scene that highlights that the most is whenever uh, they're writing a get well card to, uh, God, what's his name? What's his name? Joe. Uh, yeah, but who's the actor? Oh, good question. I'll ah, look it up. Hold on. It is... God damn it. Uh, bu- 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 oh, Larry Miller. No, wait. Is it? No, no Larry Miller's all... the dad of Gene, the, kid, the football kid who goes missing. Right, 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 right. Okay, for Joe. But writing the card and she like... Because they had... They had previously hung out and they went on the beach and they had that really awkward hug. And uh, then... She's like, oh, sign this card and whatnot. And he's just like, oh, would you sign? And she says it. And she's like, so just like distraught and not really that happy. And then he's just like, oh, okay. And then he walks away and she's like, what? And he's just like, I don't, I don't know why you didn't, didn't call me. He was like, you never gave me your number. She's like, I never gave you your number. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Okay, here, give me, give me your number. Okay, you know. And then she goes into the next room. She's like, who hasn't signed the card? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. It's so um, sad because like you're just worried for for something. It's like oh, this person deserves something good. I hope she doesn't like deserve end up like one of his victims. Yeah. Right, and luckily nothing happens other than well, there's like is oh a... let's let's roughhouse, and then he's just like oh I'm gonna attempt to murder you. And she's <laughs> so like, that, whoa, that is whoa, so whoa. Yeah. That is genuinely uh, the one moment that got like a like a huge reaction out of me because most yeah. of the movie I was kind of sleepy, and then that one moment happened, and even though it was foreshadowed that that would happen. The fact that she plays it so effectively, it, it was just... Yeah. It just changes so quickly. Like, the, cause yeah. like, they're, like 10 seconds earlier, they're, like, throwing bread at each other, like, goofy, goofily. And then, like, it's... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a testament to her power as an actress. And a non-comedic actress. Yes. Yeah. I love how she gets upset, goes outside, grabs her dog, and then leaves. You know? Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And no one else is, like, Same. saying, like, even the dog was mad at me and everything. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't uh, Owen Wilson that made me scared. It was her reaction to Owen Wilson that made me scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you could feel that. He was like, I thought, I thought, and she was like, do you typically do that? Were you really going to do that? And he's like, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, uh, one, one thing that I just remembered now, and I feel like I just want to bring this up. I'm sorry if it's mm-hmm. a detour, but it'll make it really oh, quick. Is um, on the special features of the DVD, You, Me, and Dupree, uh, there's a trailer that, re- <laughs> that recuts it that makes Kevin it look like a horror. choked on his water <laughs> for all of us to be listening. Oh, Jesus. But, but there's like a trailer that I'm makes sorry, the Brian. movie look like a horror film where like Owen Wilson and Kate Hudson are like a happily married couple and Matt Dillon's like a psycho who's coming after them. And there's like a shot of like Owen Wilson like, you know, choking out like Matt Dillon and everything. And he has like red eyes and everything. And it's like, it's actually funnier than the movie itself, but like it's it's like a good little bit of esoterica if anyone wants to look that up online. And just because you were talking about, like, I can't picture Owen Wilson as a serial killer, and he's not a killer in that place, but it's like a similar like sort of 
creepy thriller context uh, that they reframe that as oh i i I found you me and dupree recut thriller trailer i don't know if that's somebody who did that online or whatnot uh there's a spoof trailer i think it's this one okay yeah i'll definitely have to look that up either you could have given me uh i don't know like 30 different options like what owen wilson movie is brighton gonna choose and it, you me and dupree would be the 35th yeah god that that literally almost killed me anyways uh let's get to the plot of the minus man van seagard played by owen wilson is a, a wandering serial killer who poisons his victims he explains that he feels he is helping them and that they die without pain after killing a heroin addict named casper played by Cheryl crow he met at a bar he makes her death look like an overdose and moves to a new town can we stop for a second because yes Cheryl crow i really liked in this scene <laughs> yeah she's really good she's really yeah. good what does he ask he's like you got um he asked john carroll lynch who's the bartender the uh, bartender but he asks for certain things and then pie. she goes they got yeah you got pie and she goes they got pickles and the camera just kind of pans over <laughs> to a jar of pickles <laughs> and i was like what an opening line <laughs> like cheryl because cheryl crow literally has the and cheryl crow by the way the title sequence for this movie is like the slowest <laughs> title sequence it yeah by like, the, like... by like the fifth uh uh text screen it's just like it's like it still hasn't set the title yeah, or yeah. owen wilson like still just going and yeah. and <laughs> dot 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 cheryl crow and then like they yeah. go to the bar. and then cheryl crow's just like you could pickle a bunch of things like it's kind of like that portlandia sketch. And then she like she like <laughs> bites her lip for like 10 seconds i was just like i don't know if she's trying to be subtle or not I don't no know. but she yeah well she's not because she says i would like to be pickled or something uh, along yeah, those yeah. lines yeah, yeah. and you know, John Carroll Lynch, you know, it's, it, I, I just think his performance in this is funny because like, he's just abrasive, like, off the top. I'm thinking, no wonder this guy has no customers. He's a dick to everyone. He's like, Get the fuck out. <laughs> Cheryl Crow literally says, You're not going like, to fucking go over pay there for a you second. Know it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, the Zodiac Killer is fucking going nuts right there, now. Yeah. There was a part of me, though, that was like, okay, Cheryl Crow's going to be killed off in the first scene. That's a shame because I'd like to spend more time with her and less time with Owen Wilson. <laughs> Imagine like if to... this movie was recut with Cheryl Crow as the killer. That'd be wild. Oh, my God. But be... then you rename it. All I want to do is have some fun. There it is. Okay. Um, or if next it makes up. you happy yeah yeah if it makes you dead uh the next day he arrives at the home of doug and jan darwin played by brian cox and mercedes Rowe, and rents out the room of their missing daughter i don't think she's missing she goes to college um they they say she well cox says later like that's like an excuse to use he says like as she's not gone to college as far as i know we just don't know where mm -hmm. she is yeah. so maybe mm -hmm. like there's like it's like definitely in a strange relationship or maybe she's dead it's unclear um the, right. we're introduced to her yeah no like wikipedia kind of spoils that reveal in their synopsis mm -hmm. and so did i sorry to our listeners uh, oh my god oh, no and everyone was on the edge of their seats they were like <laughs> they were the like well listen to half of the plot synopsis but then after that i'm mute i'm pausing it and then i'm watching the movie yeah um Doug recommends that he look for work at the post office as they are hiring seasonal help for Christmas. Uh, Doug takes Van to a high school. Oh, what I was going to say is that I, I'm just imagining Cheryl Crow on the set just being like, they have pickles. They have pickles. They have pickles. You know, trying to rehearse that <laughs> line. Uh, 
Doug takes Van to a high school football game where he meets Gene, played by Eric Mabius, who I remember as, um, god damn it, uh, he's in Resident Evil. He's, uh, he's, uh, Alice's husband. That's right. Oh, uh, yeah. A star athlete and his family. A few days later, Van offers the boy a ride and murders him, buries his body on a beach. While he is digging the grave, Van has an imaginary conversation with two detectives, Blair and Graves, played by Dwight Yoakam and Dennis Haysbert. Wild to see him not being the the all-star guy. That's pretty wild. <laughs> All-state, my bad. Uh, who, who asked taunting questions about his methods. Later, Van helps the town search for the missing athlete and even attends his memorial service. He reveals that killing Gene broke two of his personal rules. Don't kill anybody you know, and don't kill anybody from your town. Weird rules. Do we, which, um, can I also say the same similarities between both of these movies were just that voiceovers just uh, say certain things without ever mm-hmm. showing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With well, this Impermanent Midnight, the other movie that we were covering. In case it wasn't obvious that we recorded both of these at the same time, everyone. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> man. You're showing him how the sausage is made, uh, Brian. What were you saying? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like some of like just some of the scenes that like like how they're how they're done. I do think Wilson is pretty good in that first murder scene, where like again, it is like kind of like he's not necessarily killing out of malice, although it is interesting how he kills a lot of people he seems to maybe disapprove of. Like he kills like a heroin addict, and he kills like um, someone who's like rooted a restaurant, and then he like kills someone. Uh, he kills Gene when he takes like a, a drink from like the flask and or anything, and it's mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like kind of an interesting moralistic thing, and also like how he's like when he's like dropping Cheryl Crow off, he like is like he says like oh maybe a bear toppled over this trash can. He's like putting it away and like being very organized. Um, but I do like sort of like how he like tilts his head and everything as if like just like oh so that's what happens when the when when someone drinks poison or whatever. Like it, that again, it's in it, the movie can't sustain the level of tension based on just like that limited range of expressions that uh that Owen Wilson has and everything but it is interesting and creepy uh to see it and to see those kind of expressions that you see like in a, a comedic context like employed in, the, in here but um mm-hmm. uh I also think it's um, he's really good in the the scene where like he goes out with Gene and like you know you see him laughing and smiling as like you know Brian Cox starts to tell a story and then he's the smile falls almost as if like he realizes like oh that's I'm not supposed to smile for that long or anything. I'm supposed to be like listening earnestly and everything. Uh-huh. It's, that's like kind of interesting where he like, he knows like kind of the gist of how to like talk to people. And that's like the stuff that's like kind of funny in the movie where like he like, um, Mercedes Rowe later on in the movie like tells him about like, oh yeah, like there's like a, uh, someone like was struck with concrete and everything from like a fallen building. He's like, huh, yeah. must have missed that one and everything. Like the sort of like folksy <laughs> jokiness that he uses, and like he doesn't get the response. How people react uh-huh. to him is sort of what changes like the tone of the scene and everything. And it's like kind of interesting, like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't love Dennis Haysbert and Dwight Yoakam in this. I feel like which is a shame because they're both so good as I, actors. I love that. I've loved them in like other things, and they're yeah. fine here. But it it does. I mean, he's imagining him, I guess, like, as, like, sort of stock cop-type characters and everything, like, good cop, mm-hmm. bad cop, and, like, cause I, I guess that's just how he imagines it. And I, I guess it's there because it's, like, meant to maybe add, like, some... He, like, he knows that the things he's doing are wrong, but he just wants to see what happens and everything. Like, it's... And that's, like, interesting on that level, but, like, it's it, it doesn't... It's all, I guess it's also there to add some tension of, like, maybe the walls are closing in, but it doesn't do it successfully. It, it, it kind of... Nah. It kind of sucked the air out of everything for me, too, because this film is... It feels so grounded in reality, or the tone it feels like it's trying to strike is 
just realism or minimalism or whatever. So to have those scenes just kind of come in and like out of nowhere, it just kind of just breaks the narrative in a weird way. It's not even like, you know, like you think about something like American Psycho where Willem Dafoe's character is like such a narcissist, but, and is believing he's onto something, but like he strikes the same tone with the characters who are stuck in their own mind space. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's totally, a, that's totally in tune with everything going on. And every time I agree with you, Bryden, every time Dennis Haysbert and Dwight Yoakam came on actors, I love, but I was just like, okay, like we get it. Like, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like the worst a- offense is the fucking word. Uh, or where Owen Wilson is just like I have seven expressions I can show you two of them oh and my this, god I and the second one scene. he does that screaming face and what I was just like this is funny but in the trailer they take that shot of him like pretending to scream and they like do a bunch of flashes to make it seem like he's like this wild serial killer <laughs> it's yeah. Really funny yeah I, I was surprised he didn't do Blue Steel, but I guess that's not his move. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but it just feels like I'm watching a bad cop show when, like, when yeah. it comes to those, like, fantasy sequences. I'm just, like, I was watching, like, a run-of-the-mill interrogation scene, except I know it's just in this guy's mind, but it's, like, this is not interesting but the, to watch. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. rest of the film feels like uh, just, like, a drama in a town that you... That, that, that it's trying to provide, like, just this kind of homey feel to. That... It, yeah like you you know this is a part of america almost that you wouldn't see before and that like evil lurks beneath the surface and to just have that shit in there it's like out of a bad law and order episode or something i yeah. i agree yeah mm-hmm. uh vance ties the community grow as he is given more responsibility at the post office uh one of vance co-workers farron played by uh, jenny garofalo sheepishly pursues him doug doug drives her to the beach or the no wikipedia. that happens that 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 takes a while wikipedia <laughs> no but no it's not doug it's van it says doug here uh van drives her to the beach where the pair exchange an awkward hug directly over the spot where van buried gene uh on christmas day van goes to a diner and chooses another victim meg foster uh, she invites him to her house where he sees that she's a painter something about her work disturbs him and he flees <laughs> Wait, 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 I'm sorry, something about her work disturbs him. She has a painting of someone aiming a gun at his head. It's like, this what do is you too mean? much. What do you mean something about her work disturbs him? I know. I guess it's also I... because he's worried that she'll be able to draw his face really well. That's oh, yeah, yeah. Something about her work disturbs him. Yeah, someone's, like, about to blow his brains out and she painted it. Like, that's what the i have to i have to rewind that scene i wasn't paying all the way of attention but i was just like i looked down for a second i look up and i was like wait who houses were you where are these paintings what's going on and then i went back and he has like one line with her in a diner and then it immediately goes to her house i will admit i did have to pause it because i was like wait is that meg foster and then it took me like scrolling like a ridiculous amount of time on imdb's profile to be like yep that's meg foster those piercing blue eyes like yeah i i yeah at first i was just like is that she have like contacts in i was like that's not real but yeah that's her 
Van returns to the diner and slips poison into the water of a man played by Lou McCreary. Eating alone, an autopsy reveals that the death was, was a result of a rare poison derived from tree bark fungus found in the Pacific Northwest. So specific for no fucking reason. Uh, the poison is then linked to Casper's death and then to Jean's when his body is found. Uh, by a uh, uh, random dog. Uh, bury him deeper, I would say. Uh, Van knows that the police will eventually tie the murders to him. I do like that scene where, like, it is, like, the dog, like, you see the dog from afar burying it, and then, like, it's, like, the hand barely reaches, like, it reaches the surface, and then, like, the camera, like, whip pans to, like, the, like, the next scene. I think that's, like, pretty <laughs> creepy how it's, like, just barely keeping the violence, like, to, like, like, a bit, like, just, like, sort of, like, the, like, not really, like, kind of, like, can't keep it just barely on screen or anything, like, leaving it to the imagination rather than, like, you know, peppering you mm-hmm. with gory bodies. I don't know. I think that's, like, reasonably effective. Again, not sure that there's enough there to make the movie entirely kick it to high gear, but it's, nah, it's decent. It's something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, while looking into the mirror, he pulls hair off of his jacket and puts him in an envelope on which he writes Farron. Uh, Jan is found dead from a blow to the back of the head. Uh, the police suspect yeah. Doug, but Van is worried that the increased scrutiny from another murder will lead the police to him. During a date with Farron, he tries to initiate sex by assaulting her. She is terrified, and Van leaves. The next day, the police arrest Doug for Jane's murder. Van packs his things. Before he leaves town, he puts his postal uniform and the envelope marked Farron containing the sample of his hair in a mailbox. The film ends as he drives on a highway, saying he wants to lead a more regular life once he gets to wherever he was going. He is pursued by a cop who had earlier approached him on the beach where he uh, fell asleep in his car. Uh, after he takes a good look with her, after taking a good look with her, after taking a good look with her spotlight, there we go. Uh, some words were uh, not in there. She smiles at mm-hmm. him and takes the right fork in the road while Van takes the left. I didn't know that the uh, the Furious Seven ripped this ending off, but that's that's funny. Um, <laughs> Just imagining that now. <laughs> I gotta recut the ending of Minus Man with uh, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa. Gosh, I gotta do that. Really... Oh, I heard that song God. so many times in gym class. It's not a, Jesus not a good Christ. Song. No, it's not. Uh, but God damn it, Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah, just the, the f- and also the visual motif where it's just like he's going one way and she's going the opposite Yeah, way. that's at the start of the movie when he's like looking left and right and it's like, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, again, Kind of functionally directed where it's like he looks, you know, it shows him like looking at the start of the movie and he's like looking right and then it cuts to his right side view. Then he looks to the left, cuts to the left side view. It's like, uh-huh, yep, uh, don't, don't know if we need I, I all felt, these shots. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I felt just this same amount of pathos just watching Vin Diesel and Paul Walker just separate ways. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it, Kevin. It's wild if you watch the end of Minus Man, actually Owen Wilson's face is CGI'd onto somebody's spot. <laughs> no. God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Someone's gonna come after us for this. Oh, it's fine. Uh, I will tell them to watch Running Scared. Just uh, just for a good record. Wild. <laughs> it's Never nuts. saw it. I've been. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't seen it since it came out. I've been needing to rewatch it, but I remember as a kid being like, "This is the most fucking wild ass movie I've ever seen." Yeah. Uh. Anyways. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Uh. The ending is such a nothing thing yeah. because what it what it leaves out is that uh doug uh uh brian cox uh, like allegedly said he was gonna take van's truck 
and then he didn't. Because he's always worried about his wife leaving him because he has awful right. mood swings where he just starts attacking himself and like it's really upsetting to his wife and i think he says something about how jane mercedes Rowe was going to look at a house so he asked if he can mm-hmm. borrow his truck to follow her and then the movie kind of like skips ahead and then the cops yeah. comes and has to say yeah she's been found with her head bashed in i don't think we're supposed to think cox did it do are we supposed to think it's just no like kind well of a well thing? the thing that i, I took know. away from it was that because he bashed janine garofalo's head in but in a failed attempt, it's meant to be clear that he was the one who murdered her and then was trying to, you know, like, it was a, it was sloppy on his end. Is that what we're supposed to take away from that? Well, but, but it's weird because, like, Van, like, I don't want to sound like the couple on, like, the, the trailer for Minus Man or whatever. I was about to say, we have yeah. so much to talk about but, for but, hours. But, but, Somewhere but, right now, two elderly people are dead in a swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like no that's swim fan kevin that's your favorite movie shame on you yeah right now jesse bradford is swimming somewhere and then jason ritter's bloody head is gonna bunk him in the head while he's swimming yeah um but is it like i feel like after mercedes Ruella turns up dead you hear like um uh van narrating it's like you know I'm, i don't think i never thought doug would do this but like if he did like you know uh he sure picked a bad time to do it or whatever like you know, yeah like, like, yeah you know, so it's like he's suspicious of it, but I don't know. And then like, but whether or not he like thinks Cox did it, he will like let him take the rap for it because he's just like, as much as he seems to care, seems to care about him. It's just like he's out for himself at the end, of course. So it's just like, right, yeah. and yeah. people in the people in the town like know that couple as like the oh you're living with them. How is that type of thing? So it's like he can he can uh, use that to an advantage of people thinking that they're a. Uh, a strange couple type thing yeah that that exactly that's the main flaw is like either owen wilson murdered mercedes rule and did the same thing to janine Gar- tried to do the same thing to janine garofalo and failed or brian cox murdered her and then he tried to frame brian cox for her mur- attempted murder that also failed and the failure of it all in the end is we don't care. <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter. At mm-hmm. least from my perspective is the ambiguity is just kind of like, oh, well, none of these people are fully fleshed out enough for us to even give a shit. Like, these people are either, are such archetypes that they're boring. Like Right. It's, the, it's kind of the thing where it's just like artisans saw that ending, but instead of being like, we're going to fix it, we're like, we're going to make the marketing where it's just like, you have to talk about it for so long because it's so ambiguous. You're going to have so many yeah. questions. And it's just like, nah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah, and I never really felt like, worried for or not worried but um i never felt like there was any possibility that like wilson's character was in any danger that the walls were closing in on him i think it's partly like the way the movie's structured and uh also like the way that fancher doesn't really do anything to heighten the tension at all to really bring nope. any suspense mm-hmm. to the fact other than like i guess like the one scene when like cox is like arrested the cops come in and they first like come to wilson and say like van step and then they say step aside we're, we're actually arresting this guy and it's like okay. right because because the police also like uh when uh van is on like his route or whatever they get him in the cop car and they are interrogating him but about doug but i guess maybe he internalizes that as they're on his trail or something but maybe his hallucinations of the police officers also make him feel like things are closing in but it 
it really seems like he's fine. <laughs> it's kind of like a clean version of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in a certain way. I mean, like, this movie has nothing in common with the aesthetics of that movie, but it is kind of trying to do the same thing of, like, what if there was no blood, no murder, no nothing? You just saw a portrait of someone who just didn't give a shit. And I think Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is brilliant. I'm not asking for any this film to do any of those same things, but it is kind of frustrating how, like... You know, it's aiming to do some of those same things, but then also kind of create, like, this semi-domestic drama and also create a sense of community in these parts of America that we don't see very often in suburbia. And then they're kind of archetypes, too. I don't know. Like, it's Mm -hmm. it's weird. And it's similar to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in the sense that, like, there are, like, these relationships where he gets, gets, gets into where it's like... Like, it seems like it's on the verge of sentimentalizing them, where it's like, oh, well, maybe there's a possibility that there is something in there, and then the movies end, and you're like, nope, nothing there. Like, that guy is pure evil. Nothing there. And Mm -hmm. even Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is a horrifically graphically violent movie, ends with a note of ambiguity that is haunting, that is not graphic. It's the one moment that isn't... I'm not going to spoil that movie, but, like, it just leaves you haunted by it. It's grim as fuck. I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since like sixth grade. Oh, I've only I... seen it once. I don't. I I I always, I love that movie, but it's hard to want to revisit that. I have problems with it, but it it does get under your skin. Um, oh, Charlie, yeah. you didn't pick it up on 4K. You didn't do that. I didn't do it. Oh damn. Mm. I watched it like six years ago, and I was like, I love that, and uh, whew. You're, you're never being like, oh, we're going to have a party at my crib. I'm going to play the home invasion scene from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer on the background. Everybody's going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess that is the, the, the problem is that they develop all these characters as people with interior lives. And then the movie doesn't ultimately follow through with any of that. It is the, ultimately the last 15 minutes of that movie that fail. Like, because it is build up, build up, build up. Mm-hmm. Intrigue. The okay. Mercedes rule, yeah. Yeah, the whole movie, yeah. that's the thing. The movie, like, is intrigued. I, th- I feel like I maybe was phrasing it badly, but the whole movie feels like it's set no, up. You and it's just And it's just kind of that that one note where it never feels like it kicks into high gear. And, like, in the right, and the conclusion <laughs> maybe doesn't even involve him. Like, really? Yeah, but, but, because you're, yeah, it, it, it kind of wants to have it both ways, as both of you have said, of, like, bad time for him to do that. But then it also is from his perspective of Mercedes rule, as you brought up earlier, either in the last episode or this episode, Bryden, where it's just Mercedes rule backing up in her car and being like, Kate, bye. And then just fading out. And it's kind of like, so weird. I, yeah. Like, <laughs> like so many fade outs. Um, so maybe, maybe I am misremembering and the Wikipedia is not giving me much, uh, answers to remember. Why, why does he uh, send his hair in the envelope for Farron? Why does he do that? Uh, well, uh, it sounds like you're uh, like the couple. In the, God like, damn it. <laughs> uh, but, but also, um, I, I, I mean, he has like a whole like thing talking about like uh, when Gene goes missing. He says, like, think about it. If it weren't for me giving him a ride, no one would be here. They'd be doing something else on their Saturdays. It's almost like he's impressed with like sort of like the effect that he has on people by being able to do these awful things to people. And I guess mm-hmm. maybe him sending the hair is like, you know, maybe passing down his legacy or like, you know, a proof of his existence and like leaving sort of like an impact on these people's lives, I guess. Even if mm-hmm. he's like, it's a horrible effect that he's leaving on them, like a traumatic effect. That's like mm-hmm. my read that I sort of have of it, but maybe it's I'm wrong. simultaneously trying to be cold, which I have no problem with, but the coldness doesn't, it, 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 it's trying to be cold, which I don't have a problem with, 
but the coldness doesn't really mean anything because mm-hmm. they're not fleshed out people. Like, no. Because yeah. my first thought, I was just like, is he sending that so that they have, like, did they find hair at one of the crime scenes for one of the poisonings? But I was like, they never brought that up, so I don't know if it's just like, you can try to find me with this, but they're only going to get so far type thing. Yeah, I don't and, know. Then, and then all the character development are, like, people doing histrionics like brian cox just being like i'm gonna watch tv like (laughs) like that's supposed to be this defining moment of like oh who is this person really and it's just like i I don't know he slaps himself and he wants to watch tv and he screams it very loudly that's not really saying anything well and he likes football and he likes football and turkey dinners Yeah. yeah and the thing is like i would say like maybe like the movie is like trying to go like i would I don't have a problem with the movie having, like, a, a sort of, like, flat, detached aesthetic if, like, it was working towards something. But I do think, I mean, the most adventurous scene stylistically is when, like, Van is playing football with himself and the camera's, like, just swooping all over the place. And, like, it's, like, the sky is, like, just pure white in the background. And then everything else in the movie is just, like, kind of flat shot, reverse shot, or, like, simple plans. Yeah. And, like, it's, like, and I, I don't know. I feel like this movie really needed someone who had like a little bit more range stylistically as a director and i feel like fancher maybe just wasn't there yet uh, or maybe doesn't have the, have the goods as a director to do that the act the actors did all the heavy lifting and it shows and i mean mm-hmm. that in terms of as i said before the owen wilson performance not bad just needed more like it's just not he's not intimidating as a time capsule or back then right 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 yeah but even that scene where he's tossing the football, it just feels so like you're trying to be artsy type of thing. Because also it's that plus him narrating, saying some s- stupid shit. I don't know what he was saying. Something about like, the thing about jobs is they, you know, I don't know. Any uh, final thoughts on the plus and minus man? Um, <laughs> The division man. I don't understand numbers. <laughs> Uh, the Minus Man actually inspired uh, the titles for all of Ed Sheeran's albums. Thank you. There it is. Um... Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.